And today, I, I want to talk about the path of church. Because I, I'm sure for most of you, right, 2021, um, where you're hoping it would be dramatically different from 2020. Like, it would be like this divine uh, etch-a-sketch of a year. Right? We just kind of like, we, the year would just kind of shake everything off. Things would be erased. It'd be the beginning of something new and better. But that's not exactly what happened, right? 2021 has simply been an extension. It's been like the reprise that nobody asked for of that song that was horrible. It's been the sequel that nobody wanted, right? Batman and Robin, right? George Clooney Batman. Nobody asked for that. Am I dating myself with that? Any of you like watching films that are intent, like really bad, like watching them in an ironic way? If you've never seen, go back and watch Batman and Robin with George Clooney as Batman. I believe it's been voted one of the worst films in history. That's all. Grace and peace. Have a good day. <laughs> when you go through a crisis moment, it can often uh, throw you off for a minute. And then you tend to recalibrate and go back to the way everything was before. But when you go through a long-term crisis, when you face a challenge that is extended like we've all been through, it actually begins to cause you to reflect and to rethink about why you're doing what you're doing. And I think that's what's basically happened over the last two years. So many people have asked this question, does X really matter or Y really matter? Why am I doing this? Do I really want, you know, Z back into my life? Uh, 4.3, uh, this study just came out a couple days ago, 4.3 million people quit their jobs in August. 4.3 million, that's 3% of the workforce in the United States. These are epic numbers. We're seeing massive shifts out of the urban centers where we are seeing movement into urban cores. We're now seeing a big movement out. Um, the fact that this forced many Americans to stay at home over the last couple of years has caused people to re radically rethink the way they think about schooling. Um, many of these uh, studies, um, some of the, like, little anecdotes that put a little, uh, you know, some clarity and a capstone on the stats are things like, I'll never, from one father, I will never miss my kid's soccer game again. The rate that I was working was unmanageable. I will not go back. This massive shifts in how people are thinking about living their life. Um, there was at least 7 million households Seven million in the last few months have moved to a different country. Just, I'm getting out of here. So this question, does this matter, seems to be on the tip of people's tongues. And their conclusion to many things is like, no. And so you choose a different path. From really big things to small but meaningful shifts. Because they have asked this question, does this matter? matter. Now, this is a question that I've asked for most of my life. It's been like an inner narrative. Is anyone the kind of person who tends to immediately question the status quo? Like you're told like, hey, you need to do this. And your first thing isn't like, okay, sure. It's like, why? It's, maybe you're married to somebody like that. Maybe you have a good friend like that. We're pretty awesome and pretty annoying all at the same time. Like when you need somebody to push back against something, you're like glad they're around. But most of the times you're like, oh my gosh, you are slowing everything down. Can you just accept that this is the way things have to be? Yeah, it's, it's great. But this has been my inner narrative always from when I was a little kid. Why, why am I doing this again? Why am I doing this again? Why am I doing this again? That's why the best companies, the best organizations, right, they focus on the why. 
we just went back as a staff and watched Simon Sinek's um, great talk on uh, the power of why recently. This is like a talk that's, I think it's the, the most watched TED Talk in the world, I believe. And it's because it was this recalibration of the best movements in the world. Zero in and keep asking the question why and is there clarity on the why? It's critical. And so I wanted to take some time today to simply ask about the church. I think it's a really, really, really important question. Because over the last two years, we've lost something that has just been so much a part of our lives. Right? Which is just coming to a place like this. Now we have all these scriptures that remind us do not forsake the assembling of the community. One translation is like, don't forsake the gathering of the brethren of the church. Never in my life have I ever thought I would give a sermon focusing on why it's just so critical to commit to a space like a Sunday morning. To commit to a space like a home church. Now there's all sorts of things, again, culturally happening around committal around the sort of social contracts and social pressures that we felt and didn't feel. And now anybody who's ever had an ounce of social anxiety or really doesn't like to be around people or really doesn't like the aggravation of that and would rather stay home sort of has this like catch-all reason to not bother with that at all. It's understandable. But I, I say all that as a setup because I have spent my nine years of vocational ministry, a job I never expected to get into, to make sure that I personally, as, as a leader here in this church, am reinforcing what church is and isn't. And we know that this is not like the fullness of what church is. It's not a building. It's not about a Sunday morning. I always felt like, oh, that was a given. This will be a good rhythm. Obviously, if we're committing to all these other bigger things, the least we can do is gather together and recalibrate and reset as we head into a new week together. Church, by the way, always, this is what we'll get into the pathway class, as we understand scripturally the point of church, right, is to be a people. If you want to be involved at sanctuary, how are you reaching your neighbors? How are you doing justice and loving mercy? How are you apprenticing and discipling your kids? How are you about the non-heroic mission day to day? I, as the pastor, shouldn't know much of what's happening in our church outside of programming. I should be getting story cards and hearing things from people like in the wind. Did you know this happened? Did you know that happened? Did you know these people are caring for these people in this way? Did you know that that money got moved over. Did you know? And church, by the way, we know, right, has not stopped over these last two years that we've been gathered together. That hasn't been the case. Many of you have committed to leading home churches and helping people who are struggling with pain and anxiety through all this whole season. Many of you, I'm looking at some of you I know, have given exorbitant amounts of money to cover bills. Many of you have just been faithful to walk alongside and encourage others in deep seasons of doubt. Many of you have helped lead their friends to Jesus in the season. The church has not stopped. And to be a part of a community, we know that is the essence of what it means to be a part of this and any family, right? The reason you have leadership in a church is to equip the ministers, right? Equip people to do the works of ministry. And that would be you. When we first launched our church, in a very cheeky way, we gave everybody business cards, blank business cards, and it just said, welcome to staff. Or it said like blank, and then like you're a part of the sanctuary staff. Or the invitation to every follower of Jesus is to be involved in the life of the community, a movement, an alternative people in the world. You've probably heard a version of that if you've been around sanctuary for even a minute. Hopefully you've heard that. But there's something 
and getting out of our rhythms and routines this last two years that I think have had an adverse effect on us. Some of us have come every week before even the pandemic, or maybe it's every other, every third week or every fourth week. And what's funny is that if you missed a Sunday, you still knew that it was happening. You had the comfort of knowing, like, our people are still gathering together in that way that they have gathered from the very beginning. It's still there when I need them. I'll be there when I need that. Even those that were more in a, like, consumeristic place. And so even when you didn't show up, it wasn't that we concluded it didn't matter. We just maybe took it for granted because we thought it would always be there for us. But over the last two years, something that was essential in our life, something that was fundamental to our spiritual development and maturity and even our spiritual vitality, we were jostled out of that routine. We, we lost it. And like some people who lost their jobs and decided they didn't really want to go back or others who had to rethink their ambitions and decided to change the course of their direction, there were many, many who when they stopped experiencing the power of community and they stopped experiencing the power of the church coming together, they decided, oh, well, you know, I can just do that online. I could do it. You know, podcasts are much more convenient. Do you know how good Bayberry brunch is on a Sunday, Andrew? I don't have to deal with those social anxieties. I don't have to be around those people I don't always like. I don't have to serve in the kids. I don't have to do that. Maybe some of you even realized that I am not the greatest preacher in the world. I know, it's a big shocker for a lot of you. You realize I can get access to world-class teaching just from the privacy of my own home. And then some of you really did. We're asking that question, or maybe friends, that fundamental question, that capital C question, of, or capital C church question, which is, well, you know the era of Sunday morning church is sort of an antiquated idea, don't you? It's no longer relevant in the world we live. Now let me say, I love these questions. I think it's important to not assume that these questions have already been answered, even in our own hearts. Let's not assume that. Uh, I overheard a conversation the other day or another week. And it was uh, basically somebody kind of pressing of like, oh man, I hate it when the church gets big. I hope sanctuary like never like grows that big. And the person was like pushed back against in a really funny way, in a really kind of abrasive way, I guess. And basically the question was like, why do you think that, why would you not want a church to like grow? And the person said "Have you to this woman, have you ever thought to yourself, I hope that, like, the Salvation Army doesn't grow. I hope the Red Cross does not grow. I hope the Peace Corps doesn't grow. I hope the United Way never grows. I hope it just stays really small so it doesn't get ruined. And she responded, like, no, I guess that never really occurred to me. So his buddy was like, do you, do you know why? Do you know why? And so after a bit of a silence, it's like, it's actually because you value those organizations and you believe that they're doing good in the world. They're not just social clubs. That we need them in the world for the world to flourish and grow. Maybe the reason you don't want the church to grow is because you actually don't see it as a value to those outside it. <laughs> so awkward. Long, long moment of silence. Everyone who was like listening in and then the silence was broken when she just acknowledged, no, nah, it's probably true. I don't see the, that, the value to people, to the world. It's a space that essentially she was just saying she wanted for herself, but didn't see that as something that actually mattered for others. And I wonder, I wonder 
how many times we see the church as supplemental and not essential. Something to help build Project Self and bring you a bit of inner peace, but we don't understand why we do the thing that we do. Why many in this room have given their lives to starting this thing, given up time and energy, places where they could much like enjoy in the moment something much more immediate than giving their life to this. So first thing before we dive into our passage today, remember that the idea of church began with Jesus. And I say this for a reason, because there are some um, growing uh, yeah, growing in popularity sort of ideas and themes around what it is to be a Jesus follower. Really that it is like part of the great buffet of your own spiritual health and growth and a way that you can build Project Self. And, it, and it, what creeps in is sort of, well, because we can see and point out, just like every generation, by the way, in history, can point out brokenness in aspects of the church ways the church has been complicit with political ideology or been really complicit with not just following sin and brokenness and not leaning into the way of Jesus, then it must be some kind of construct. And I just want to get back to the heart and root of things as if that somehow doesn't mean getting back to the root of things means a deeper commitment to church, not less. The church was Jesus's idea. And it was Jesus who spoke to his followers and said he would build his church and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. Even in that passage, we see the, a bit of the vision of what the church is to be. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think often when we read that passage or we hear that, we think like, yeah, the like, evil is on the move and injustice is on the move. The devil is on the move. And, we, and like they, it, the, that won't get into the life of the church. But where are the gates in that passage? Like outside of a Monty Python film, Whenever are gates used as an offensive weapon? Have you ever seen an army charge another army, not with spears, not with guns, not with tanks, but with gates? No, Andrew. It's okay to talk back. <laughs> no. No. I know you've heard me say this before, but who's on offense? Is it the church or is it injustice? Who's on offense? It's the church. Jesus says, uh, let me just drill this home for a quick second. I'm going to preach on this another time. But there's this passage where Jesus says, I've kind of tied up like the owner of the house. And he calls it the strong man. I've tied up the devil. I've tied up evil in such a way that the stronger man is now like in charge, referring to himself. And then in this passage, he invites his disciples, his apprentices, his followers, the church that he's instituting. He says, it's your job to go and ransack. Or one translation says, plunder the house. I.e., it's the job of the church to take back what belongs to God. Who's on offense? Who's on defense? Who is meant to exist for the benefit of the world? We're told that Jesus is on the throne. If you believe the scriptures, renewing all things. The church, if you believe the scriptures, is supposed to be a partner. We partner with God. It's described as the bride of Christ. Hence, where the line joining God in the renewal of all things comes from. Deeply biblical idea. What's the job of the church? To get people to raise their hand and come to the altar so they can go to heaven when they die. No. No. Never. Not in the Bible. 
One little aspect of what we're doing is inviting people into that eternal life, the life of the ages now. And that is one aspect of saying Jesus is king and joining him in the kingly thing that he's doing that it says in Revelation is making all things new. I digress. But I say all of this is that when we reduce the church to something akin to good things like therapy or yoga or good mindfulness activities or emotional health, not throwing shade at any of those things, but when we reduce it to just one other aspect that falls in line with that, we are quite literally not Christians at that point. Like we're not like following in the path of Jesus. It wasn't something developed later. It wasn't something developed over time. It was actually seminal to the entire movement of Jesus. And so when Jesus called humanity to himself, he also called humanity to each other. If I have an abstract for this sermon, it's that. When Jesus called humanity to himself, he called humanity to each other. So these words that I'm going to read now from Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm reading these that because from the very beginning of the church, from the very beginning of Jesus being like, let's do this, you had a bunch of folks trying to figure out, okay, how do we do this? How do we do this in Ephesus? How do we do this in Thessalonica? How do we do this in Corinth? How do we do this in Providence in 2021? 2021. 2021. How do we do this? We've always been wrestling with and making sense of how we do this. Paul writes, God's intent, circle that word intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, great metal band name, the manifold wisdom of God, should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. And then he goes, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people. We're going to keep going, but I'm going to stop there just for a minute. If there ever was it been a declaration of the wonder and significance of the essential nature of the church, it's here. Paul is letting us know, hear this please, if you don't get anything else, that God's intention is that through the church... In human history, one of the things that you have to actually come to grips with is that when Jesus died on the cross, his vision for humanity was not to restore, just to restore our relationship with God, but to restore uh, uh, our relationship with each other. This is what the sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection of the dead was as much about us as individuals as it was to create a people, a new community. In verse 10, he begins by letting us know this is the intent of God. It's important to know that God has intention. Super important to know, right? God actually has intention. So interesting to me that when people so readily and easily talk about the intention of the universe, that the universe has intention, these very same people are convinced, right, that there's no God. You ever heard anyone ask this or say this? Yeah, I believe the universe has intention. Anybody? 
Anybody like the, the universe has a purpose to it? Uh, the other day I, I had like a afternoon with no meetings and I went to Warren. Um, great little spot down there, man. Growing up in South County, I just never made my way around the, the horn to Warren. I spent the day just riding, walking around. I ran into three people. The third person I ran into, I mentioned that I had already run into two random people in Warren. And they were like, man, the universe just must like have, have you here for a reason today. It's, it's fun. It's great. I actually think it's a great bridge to like talking about why they even have that language in the first place and where that comes from. But I think it's fascinating that somehow it takes less faith to believe the universe has intention than it does to believe there's a God who created everything with intention. He says his intent was that now through the church, now through the church, this is so important. Because if you want to know why this matters, it's because everything God intends to do for the good in human history, this passage says he does through the church. Don't just glaze over at this part here. Like, this is crazy. This is his intention. He says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to everybody. Have you ever thought to yourself, I don't know what God is doing. I have no idea what's going on in my life right now. I never had this thought before. I, I just, I don't know why this is all happening. I don't know what's going on. When you're going through a crisis or a trauma or in your dark moment in your life, it's so hard to understand what God's doing. And I think oftentimes our faith gets challenged and many times our faith gets weakened because we try to make sense of what's going on sort of by ourselves in our life. Right? When suffering has no meaning, it's unbearable. A lot of people, suffering has no meaning. I don't know how you would make it through the day. And it's actually when there is meaning and intention in our suffering that we find resilience to overcome whatever pain we may have to bear. And here, Paul's letting this church know that God has intention in human history and that the way, hear this, the way God reveals his intention is always through the church. I should put an asterisk to always. There are all sorts of little exceptions and moments but this is his plan. This is the way that God makes himself known to us. Verse 12, you with me? Say, I'm with you. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Therefore, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings for which you, which are your glory. And for this reason, I kneel before the Father whom every family on earth derives its name. He is letting us know that God is working in human history. He's doing something in the world, and that what God wants us to understand is that the way we can see his fingerprints is by looking at the church. The son of, uh, who, of the father of forensic science, right? This study of, um, like, basically gave, like, a category for forensic science, so studying fingerprints um, to, you know, find criminals, uh, the, the, the son of this, this man was a follower of Jesus, and his son, a devout follower of Jesus, said, you know, my dad gave his life to using fingerprints to find criminals, and that he, the son, wanted to use fingerprints to identify the divine uniqueness in every person. Like, if we want to understand, and if we want the world to understand that God is love, then it's essential for the world to see God's fingerprints all over the church in us. If we want to have the world see the, that God is the source of all hope, then the church has to become 
a source of hope. One of the questions that I get, and maybe you're in this place, come to Alpha on Wednesday, you're an atheist or agnostics or folks that are just going like, I want to believe in God, but I just cannot find enough proof of God to change my mind. Right? Usually it's like, I just can't believe in something I can't see, which of course my initial response is like, there's a lot of things that you cannot see that you have faith in, like your breath. But the layer to this that I think is so important is, I'll say it like this, I know Corey, my wife, loves me. I know Harper loves me, Rowan loves me, Keller loves me. I know my family loves me, and I know that they know I love them. But the reason, the reason they know I love them is not because I say I love you. We've all had people who say I love you, but their actions don't reinforce them. No, I know I love them, not simply because I tell them I love them or text them. They know I love them because my actions towards them are motivated by love, and they can see my love in action, even when I mess it up. One of the most powerful things about God is that the way that God has intended to be seen in human history is through the action of the church. Let me talk about this another way. Just yesterday, um, we were going on a little walk, and I had the stroller out, and there was these, um, uh, uh, like a seatbelt that was kind of hanging down, these two seatbelts. And they, the wind was just blowing really, really strong yesterday. And Rowan, my three-year-old, looks over and goes, Dad, look, the ropes are dancing. I was like, oh, it's super cute. They are. They're like, they like kind of were bouncing in the wind. And it reminded me of like when I go to my parents' house, they live uh, a little bit further out in the country. And I love sitting in the backyard and just watching the trees dance back and forth. I just sit there and imagine that they're, that they're dancing. And what's to me telling about this is that what I really love and what I'm really watching is actually the wind. I'm not, I'm not in my own imagination watching branches sway and in my imagination watching leaves dance. I'm actually watching the wind. But the only way I can see the wind is through its effect. You might think you cannot see the wind, but if you understand that the effects of the wind are the fingerprints of the wind, you're able to see the invisible made visible. You can see the wind when you see the leaves blowing. You can see love when you see sacrifice. You can see God when you see the church engaged in taking care of one another and carrying burdens and serving the hurting and caring for the poor. This is when we begin to see God in Jesus' name. See the wisdom of God is revealed when we move together. This is why church matters, because the church is proof of God in the world. This is why it matters that we commit to one another. This is why it matters that we are rooted and established in love, the passage says. This is how we have power. So often when we think of God, we think, oh, I want the power of God. And we don't understand that the power of God cannot be known outside the love of God. If you do not step into the love of God, you'll never know the power of God. If you're here for God for just some sort of transition and simply just to appease your guilt, you will not experience the tangible and powerful and beautiful presence of God. In fact, I think some of the worst expressions of faith have been people who are fixated on the power of God because they're not rooted in the love of God. 
We've like, we have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This, like we can have, then it says, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Like, think about that for a minute. Will you close your eyes for a minute? I have no idea what possibly will come to mind for this. That's almost the point. You can be filled with the fullness of God. Be filled completely with the presence of God in your life. <laughs> you can open your eyes if you want. Like, what? What? This happens. This filling, this connection, this watching and seeing is addressed to a community. One of the, uh, the great disappointments with the, uh, there were many, but with the 2020 Olympics, anyone Olympics people? Anyone watch the Olympics this year? Nobody. <laughs> like four, four or five people. Awesome. I love the Olympics, the Summer Olympics specifically. Um, only, like, the, one of the big things was spectators couldn't go. So only the athletes were allowed to attend. And so you have the greatest athletes in the world coming together to compete for the greatest prize of Olympic gold, and there's no one there to watch it. So for a lot of people, um, I think they, they uh, to, like, tie this to, to the church, I think a lot of people actually think that the church hasn't been meeting for the last two years. The church has been sort of neutralized. The church has been paralyzed. I've come to realize more and more that people who do not understand that the church has never stopped, that the church has always been open, that the church has always been moving forward and advancing, and who know all of the intense stories, beautiful stories of what have happened in the life of our church. These folks, I mean this with zero shade, were more fans, spectators, the crowd, than anything else. You see, the people who think the church has stopped because of the pandemics and quarantines, they're the ones who simply sat in the stands and watched the games happen. But according to Paul, in a number of places, like in Philippians, he, he equates them about, like, he says, I have you, brothers and sisters, around my neck. And the Greek word he uses is the, um, the sort of lanyard that gets used for the metal. He talks about other places, like, run the race and uses all this Olympic, like, language. You're not a fan to be a little cheeky about it. Like, Paul literally is calling you an Olympian. I think there's a difference between a fan and a fanatic in the sense that a fan wants to watch the sprinter run. The fan wants to watch the gymnast perform. The fan wants to watch the best in the world perform at the highest level. But the fanatic, the fanatic are the ones that are in the game. They're running the 100 meters. They're swimming. They're on the balance beam. The fanatics are the ones that the world watches because they give everything to be the greatest in the world. They're in the game. I think a lot of us would rather spend very little energy. We would much rather do that, like watching the best perform than to give all that we have. And never mind give all that we have. I mean, just show up every Sunday on like a Sunday morning and show up to our home church regularly so people actually know who we are and we can be known and we can support others when new people come through the door. Never mind giving all that we have to the life of the family. When we understand what it means to be the church, we get out of our seats and we get into the game. We use our gifts. This doesn't boil down to like, I'm a parking greeter. That's great. We have chores to do in the family. We want to create a nice space for people when they come in. This means like getting in the game and asking those big questions of where can I join God in the renewal of all things in my sphere of life with my people and with this family.
supposed to be an Olympian and give all that you have so that people might be overwhelmed by the reality of Jesus. Right? And we've been overwhelmed for the last two years with the realization that we can actually um, like transmit to other people what's in us. Right? We've known that there's this virus that we are terrified to pass on or terrified ourselves to get. But long before COVID-19, the reality that we were able to transmit what was in us was a reality. When you live in the fullness of God, when you're alive and full of life and hope and full of faith and full of love, you, along with the family, get to be a transmitter of that presence of God. Like me watching the leaves and the trees, people come in and watch, even at our, like, worst I've been in some like really seen, heard stories, I should say, some really rough church scenarios and still seeing God move and be transformed because even in the brokenness and hypocrisy and ache, you're seeing people double down on laying down their life for one another, carrying one another, loving one another and giving of themselves just like God. This, I humbly submit, why I get up and do this Some of you don't know my story, but never in a million years that I ever think I would be leading a church, pastoring, never. God definitely heard me say never and laughed at me. I believe with all of my heart that the world needs Jesus more than anything else. And so what do we exhale? What do others inhale when they are affected by our communal life? Are we exhaling hope and are we exhaling faith and love and life? These things that have marked the community of Jesus from the beginning because that community is marked by Jesus. When you're full of the fullness of God, you can't contain all that he is within you. When you're filled with the fullness of God, the gift you carry with you everywhere you go, that fullness is transmitted to others. The church matters because when we move together, the wisdom of God is revealed. Paul then wraps this all up with this declaration. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to verses taken out of context. <laughs> Inside joke. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Just stop for a minute because I can ask for a lot. But I can imagine, and I bet you can imagine, so much more. He's telling us that God's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine according to his power at work within you as an individual, within like a current trending political movement, or within us, the church. This is key. So oftentimes when we think about God working, we think, well, God's working out there. And then that's often how we pray because we want God to do something out there. And I want you to realize that the primary space in which God works is in here, within us. And his power is revealed by how he changes us. And we need each other for that. But if you are the manifestation of the imagination of God, what should your life look like? 
You're saying that through the church, God unleashes creativity. Through the church, God sets the civil rights movement into play. Through the church, he unleashes his creative power, and God's imagination begins to paint on the canvas that is us. That, to me, is one of the most exciting things in the world. If all that's true, that's a story I want to be a part of, even if I didn't believe in God. I've become so aware over the years of my liabilities and my weaknesses and my shortcomings. And let me just say, I'm so grateful for the church. Because i got a couple strengths, a few talents, not that great. But let me tell you, I understand how important it is to be surrounded by people who are bringing their intelligence and their gifts and their talents and their imagination into the room with me. Because when I'm just me, I'm simply the sum total of my parts. But when we are together in the church pursuing God, pursuing reconciliation, pursuing forgiveness, pursuing the life of the ages, man, now my strengths become the contribution and my weaknesses become the space in which others can step in and step up and bring their strengths. And now we become strength against strength against strength against strength. And then, when you find yourself in a community where people know your weaknesses, but they don't measure you by them. When they know your weaknesses, but they do not define you by them. When they know your weaknesses, but they don't see that as your deficit. They see that as the construct from which they're supposed to connect to your life to bring strength. What a powerful space. You don't have to hide your weaknesses, but be honest about them and know that you've got other, to use Paul's language, eyes and ears and legs and arms to come in and fill that space. This is why we need our children, aren't the future of our church, they're our church. This is why college students, even though you're only here for like nine months out of the year and only here for four years total, like we need you. We need you. This is why folks that are older walking into a church that can feel sort of like a little bit intimidated, you come in here and you're over 60 and you're like, this is not a church for me. We need you. We desperately need you. We need your gifts and we need your wisdom. We need your experience. We need your strengths. This is why God doesn't create anyone who is by themselves. You as an individual are not everything the world needs. Hear that. It's like a blessing, not as like, oh God, I thought I was. Get whatever snowflake ideologies you have in your head out. What's the um, Fleet Fox's lyric? I'm going to mess this up. <laughs> you didn't see that coming, did you? I'd rather, be, uh, I'd rather just simply be a cog in a machine serving something beyond me or something far more eloquent than that. There's a writer in this band. He's not a Christian at all. He's just recognizing I'd much rather be a part of something great and just a small piece of the larger thing that's happening than what the entire world is selling me, which is my uniqueness, my career, my goals, my bank account, my finances. Man, the way of Jesus does a bit of obliteration to the idea of my and me and shifts us to us and to we. Man, I have so much more to say, but I just want to say in love, the church matters. It was Jesus' idea, and the church reveals the wisdom of God. We get to experience the fullness of God, the creativity of God. And so I want to invite you to take a risk to step out of that isolation that you may be in that is so tempting. I don't know many of you are here because you're not in that space, but maybe others, it's like helping move them back out of those rhythms. 
can feel so safe, that isolation, and so secure, and to realize that the best version of you can only be experienced in the us. It's very difficult to walk the way of Jesus alone. And what the world desperately needs is for us to walk together and become proof of the God who loves them and of the King who reigns. This is what we need. At family camp, or the family retreat, I had this moment where I was sitting in a chapel. Uh, we can invite the band up. I'm sitting in this chapel, and I am uh, having this bizarre moment where I start to look around, and I get these every once in a while. Anyone ever had a moment like this? You get a little bit out of body, and you go, huh. That older gentleman over there is praying with this kid who has like some real, some special needs and their mom and is hunched down onto this kid's level, looking them eye to eye with a smile on their face, caring for them because they're going through a lot. And then you got another family over here where, where the, 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 one of the parents in the relationship are like deconstructing their faith and there's others around committing to walking the journey of making sense of what it means in this next season. You've got this family and a group of families over here, it's like in between time, who I know are talking about like how they're going to commit to each other and how they're going to serve the poor as a family in this next season. And, and then the, the kicker for me was I'm actually talking to somebody, and I pray I never do this to you, but every once in a while I do this. I hear somebody behind me, and I sort of stop listening to the person in front of me and do this. And that my ears, for whatever reason, zero in on a dad who is uh, going through a kind of hell that I would never pray upon anybody. Anybody. I mean, like, the worst of the worst of the worst. And <laughs> you start crying when the synth comes on. It's, like, worse. It feels like manipulation. I did not plan this. My gosh. And I, I hear another dad who I know has sort of a connection with, like, the medical trauma that's happening in this family. And he, he comes over after hearing this gentleman open up about his story. And I can hear things like, man, we are in your corner. We, we, we are going to be there. I'll see you next week at this time, and I'm going to walk through this with you. I know it feels like there's no hope right now, but let me share with you, X. Hey, I know these doctors over here who are doing this incredible work. Let me connect you with them. Hey, let's commit to praying and walking this out, because I know it looks like, like it's, it's all kind of downhill from here with your spouse, but man. It doesn't, doesn't have to be the journey that you think it might be. And I'm just looking around and just going, oh, there you are, God. Oh, there, oh God, there you are. Oh, there, the trees are, it's the, the, the limbs are, are, are dancing. Oh, the leaves 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 are dancing. Good God, the I mean, it makes sense why the New Testament writers talk about the Holy Spirit as wind. Doesn't it? Wind. Right, Janice? Wind just blows. It blows where it will. It blows where it will. It blows where it will. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm overcome in this moment of going, oh, here, here's the church. Here's the church. Here's the church. I needed... I needed the room to remember again, oh, there you are, God. There you are, oh, God, there you are. There you are. I want to extend an invitation. The first one, um, 
growing up, I grew up in a Christian household, like a really beautiful Christian household. I say that and that I never really had a come to Jesus moment, like a real strong one. Some people talk about their come to Jesus moment as like an adult or a teenager. But when I did have, I had a come to church moment. I'll spare you the, the story right now. But I had a moment in my life where all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, this is what this thing could be if we're being faithful to the scriptures. Now we have nailed that by any means. But that's what moved me from a kid who said, I will never love my dad. He was a pastor, love the church. Don't, don't, don't understand really why that was ultimately important. I can love God. I'll be a part of a church. It's great. That moved me from wanting to start one <laughs> with my friends. I had this come to church moment. And I think maybe some of us, there's a line of faith that we need to cross right now of recommitting. I mean, like the, you know, low-lying fruit is like, yeah, commit to being here every week. Commit to starting your week together with a group of people and singing and praying so that when new people come in, you can connect and talk and share with them. And we can be on the same page as we head into home churches. We can be on the same page as with what we're thinking about and praying about. They can hear stories together and give together. It's like that's the easy part. Maybe home church, don't want to commit to that. Maybe it's commit to using your gifts and going, okay, God, how might I use my gifts to the church? And I'm going to, like, like be annoying to every bit of like leadership and every staff person and every pastor and me until like I get in there and my gifts are being used. I'm coming today to this simple little class because I actually want to say yes. I want to cross a line of faith and, and maybe it's a recommitting to the life of the church. It's recommitting to every Sunday, whether I need prayer or not, I'm coming up here to get prayed for and blessed because I've got a week of church to do. I'm not going to let this moment go by having someone bless me and pray for me. I've got some church to get to this week, so why would I not? That our altars would be flooded with people of prayer. That our gifts would be used. Our callings would be engaged. That our perspective that might be a little different or a little out here. I'm looking over at like Emily um, Cordona and I mean, Emily's vision and her heart and her connections and with a particular subset of the church, like, is critical. She is a missionary and a pastor to an entire demographic on the west side of Providence that very few people have. We need to make sure that we are in her corner and praying for her, that we know what's going on, how we can help her and serve her, give her the resources she needs to do that, lift her up when she's feeling beaten down. I could go probably around the room and name a number of that, but some of us need to recommit, yes, I want that. The non-heroic mission that we are called to as a church. And then maybe you're listening to all this and you've never crossed the line of faith. You've never trusted Jesus with your life. Maybe you've asked the question, how do I know God exists? Where's the proof of God? But if you've had the opportunity to be around people who've been changed by Jesus, you know they're imperfect and you know they're human, but you also know that there's life in them. Maybe you've seen unexpected compassion and unexpected love and unexpected sacrifice and kindness. Maybe you've seen the unexpected forgiveness that you didn't deserve, that none of us deserve, but that we give each other because Jesus has changed us. And maybe right now you realize what you need more than anything in the world is to receive that forgiveness. That Jesus died to bring you through his death on the cross to receive the freedom that Jesus brings to the power that raised him from the dead. Maybe right now it's time to cross the line of faith. Maybe it's to cross the line of church, to recommit. Maybe it's just to simply begin the journey now. I want to encourage you just to, just to pray with me.
wherever you're at in that journey, if, if you wouldn't mind, like, to close your eyes if you're okay with that. And just to say, Jesus, I give you my life. Maybe if you're praying that prayer of, like, church, it's like, I God, I give you again my, my finances. I give you again my, my time. I give you again my gifts. I want to cross that line of faith. I want to cross that line of, of commitment to, to the family of God, to open up my life to Jesus. And I just want to encourage you right now just to pray that prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Because right now, for all of us, for me, even as I preach this, God is waiting for me and waiting for you. The posture of God in the scriptures is a Jesus who is leaning in, just wanting you to open up your life to him so that he might come and dwell in you and set you free from all the guilt and shame. And he wants to dwell in us, and he can't dwell in us when we don't show up for each other. That you might become the person God intended you from the very beginning to be. So right now, just talk to him. Maybe you're not there. You're like, man, I don't know about all this. But God, if you're there, would you speak convict? I just ask you to actually be open-minded for a moment. Just to be open. and close. Just go, God, God, are you there? What? I gave you my life. Some of you, you're there. Just declare to him, I gave you my life. I gave you my life. Even as we hear sirens in the background, man, I couldn't plan that better. There are injustice and brokenness in the world. Lord, I give you my life. Because political movements and governments and nations will rise and fall. And if we know anything, the church is the thing that's still standing. Loving and blessing, self-correcting itself when it gets off track. And moving forward in the work of putting all things back together again. So if that's your prayer, if that's your desire, this moment is the beginning of a new you. The beginning of a new future. Or maybe it's just the, the like recommitment to the journey with Jesus. The journey that you are intended to do with others. It's why we need to become the church because the church matters because you matter to God. So, Spirit, would you move? This is the story we get to be a part of. Those words, that chorus was written in our community out of the verse in Habakkuk where the prophet is going, I've, I've heard of the people of God. I've seen the things that God's done through his people. Heard of his great fame. I stand in awe of the things that God has done. That's my story. Maybe some of you, it's like, I can't be a part of a story that was complicit in this political idolatry. I can't be complicit in a story that some people have used to exclude others. That's not the story of God. It's not the story of faith. That's the story of heretics throughout history. 
No, no, no. The story of God, the story of God's powerful movement throughout history. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. And then he prays, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In 2021, in the month of October, in my like simple, broken, messy life, do it again, Lord. In our little church here, downtown, our little church over on the east side, do it again, Lord. Do it again, do it again, do it again. Do it in me. Do it in me. I leave you with this. To be a church, to be a part of sanctuary is to commit to a social circle that you don't get to choose and can therefore show you whether your spirituality is just talk and nonsense and BS or if it's real. Joining a church is a way of practicing in small groups of people over a significant period of time of what heaven looks like on earth, what in your bones you want the world to look like. To, to, to join sanctuary is to live in rebellion against all of those forces that are brainwashing you into making your consumer desire the center of the world, reducing all of your experiences and the people around you to products and resources. Joining a church is to organize your life around a time to confess your limits, your culpability, your imperfections with other people so that you can get used to receiving divine and godly forgiveness and hope in response to that honesty. To join a sanctuary is to resist all traditional loyalties like state and party and affinity in an act of loyalty to a group that transcends all normal categories. Come on, anybody? Joining Sanctuary organizes your financial priorities around supporting family and community and vulnerable people that you can't just like give to and walk away from, that you can't do social media activism. You actually have to live with them and do home church with that awkward, needy person that you just gave money to. Come on. To be a part of a church is to cultivate an, envi an environment unlike your home or your work or your play where your life is not measured according to any other purpose or goal than to discover the beauty and joy of being alive with God. To join family is to cultivate an imagination for how your talents and creative potential can be offered on purpose for love instead of money. And so as we close, I want to invite you to stand and we're sort of going to sing our benediction today. You can stand with us if you like, if you're up for it. The benediction that is this verse in Habakkuk, Lord, in our time and in this place, in my heart and the heart of my friends, would you do it again? And I pray that as we sing and pray this, that we would be open to receiving whatever and I believe in the supernatural. I believe God might even like make deposits into our life in this moment. Like about what this next season needs to look like and what this job needs to look like. Maybe it's the big things. And again, maybe it's just the non-heroic day-to-day moments where I'm being invited to join God with others and what he's doing. God, would you show us as we pray, Lord, I'm ready to walk in faith and mercy, to walk in mercy and justice, to walk in love and peace 
to walk in joy and in freedom, Lord. So church, as we close, let us raise our voices as we sing this prayer over each other.